How you guys doing today? <laughs> Pretty good. Hey, welcome to the Remnant. <clears throat> I'm going to probably do that a lot. I'm sorry. I didn't take my allergy pill this morning. Um, sometimes I go back and listen, and I'm annoyed by the <clears throat> <clears throat> So I do apologize in advance. So this is welcome to the Remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, welcome. If it's not your first time, hey, whatever. I'm just kidding. Welcome to everyone. Um, we are... It's kind of a, a good time to be coming. The last three times, we're we're not doing a series. We're just one-offs, man, one after another. Boom, boom, boom. You like that, David? No? <clears throat> so today, that's what we're going to do, too. Um, let me ask you guys a question. Who feels like if we had, well, first off, who wants to see a miracle in their life? Be honest. You didn't raise your hand. You just don't like raising your hand, right? Probably. Because <clears throat> even if you're not a believer, if I told you, hey, do you want to see something miraculous? Most of us would say, yeah. Now, some of that's scary, right? I'm not going to lie. I'm one of those people sometimes, I recognize God as God. So when he moves, that's a scary thing sometimes. But yeah, it would be great to see miracles. Who feels like if you had, now this is interesting. If you're a believer in this room, this is specifically aimed at you. Who feels like if you had the ability to do something, see something um, record something miraculous that it would be easier to live out of your faith daily. Meaning if you saw something miraculous, it'd be easier to live out of your faith daily. Great. The rest of you are like, not me. I'm always solid. <clears throat> yeah. What about being easier to share the gospel with those around you? If you had some kind of miraculous proof, who, who would think that would be easier to talk about your faith? Sure. Of course it would. It makes sense, and it definitely seems like it would be easier. Now, here's the thing, and I've considered this many times. <clears throat> I wonder if, though, in this day and age, 21st century, if even <clears throat> we had those miracles, we showed them, even if you were there and some, some family member was there, a friend, if they would just write it off, if they would just try to explain it away, people would be leery, right? Oh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a trick, it's an illusion, it's um, a scientific anomaly, whatever else it is, people come up with excuses Right? We, we excuse away the supernatural, the miraculous. We all do it, right? You watch those shows where something weird happens, and we look up, and it's, oh, it's clearly a volcanic updraft you know, from Siberia. <clears throat> and we'll believe that, <clears throat> but we just tend to explain away miraculous things. Guys, can you go turn the air uh, up a little bit? People are freezing to death. So if someone, thank you. <clears throat> I, you're not going to be able to pay attention if they're shivering and their teeth are chattering. All right, <clears throat> only a few, though, because I can't be sweating either. Um, yeah, people, we, we tend to, to want to, people tend to explain away the miraculous. They do, because we've seen it, we hear about it, <clears throat> which begs the question, and I've thought this many times, and I wonder if you've really slowed down to think it, what would it take to really convince the people around us of the truth of the gospel? What would it take for someone to say, that is unexplainable, that makes no sense. There has to be something, someone who is more, right? More than us. What would it really take? <clears throat> what kind of miracle would it take that could not be explained away? I think about this a lot. What kind of miracle would it take that, that my, my friends who don't know, know Jesus or my, my family, that they could not explain it away, disregard it, scoff at it, maybe even you in this room? Even if you believe in Jesus, what would it take for you to finally say, that's not possible outside of God? Because we do it too. 
you know, God blesses you, he moves in your life, something happens, and what do we do? It happens to me all the time. Well, it's probably just a coincidence. We say praise God, but we don't always believe that. We just know we should say it, but it's probably, probably a coincidence. For those who come in our path, and even for yourself, it would and take some kind of miracle that can't easily be explained away for you to see the hand of God in it. It does. It would. You know how I know this? I talk to a lot of you. Men's group, that's half what we talk about. Well, is it God or is it a psychological trick of the mind or you know, all these other things that we wrestle with? It would take some kind of miracle that cannot easily be explained away that can be seen in some capacity and that is powerful enough to be out of the ordinary. It would need to be so miraculous that it doesn't make any sense. That's it. That's what it would take for some of the people in our lives to believe and sometimes for us to believe. I believe, that being said, and I mean this, I believe that we do have that kind of miracle. Every single Christian in this room has that kind of miracle. That's not just pastor talk. That's not just a sales pitch. I truly believe that. Everyone in this room and watching at home, even if they're watching online, has experienced a miracle in their life that cannot be explained away, that we take for granted, that's just become an ordinary Everyday miracle. In fact, it's so miraculous, but it's become so ordinary that it's not even enough. And so we're constantly looking for some outside sign. You know, Jesus talked about that. He says, he said, you adulterous generation, you continue to look for signs and wonders, right? And the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, right? Which, what does that mean? Man raised from the dead. I'll never forget. It's so powerful. When Jesus is telling the parable of uh, Lazarus, right? the parable of Lazarus, at the end of it, the man, the rich man says, hey, at least please go tell my, let me go back and tell my friends and family what's going to happen if they don't, they don't follow God. <clears throat> right? And Lazarus says to him, he says, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe even if a man was raised from the dead. Right? Powerful foreshadowing. Another example of us explaining things away. We do that today. He didn't die on the cross. We believe he was there. He fainted. He fainted and swooned. You don't believe that? There's people that think that. Well, Jesus didn't die. He swooned. And then when they took him off, his, off the cross, hours later, you know, he didn't die of blood loss and broken bones and crushed lungs. We look for more because it's not enough to have this incredible miracle that every single one of you has and does experience. That's a believer. So today we're going to take a look at a couple of stories of the miraculous, and we're going to see just what it is about that miracle specifically that's so powerful and what makes it more than an everyday miracle. Now here's the thing, and I tell you this every, every week. We actually got this talk on Real Talk, which is our weekly show. Here's a shameless plug. Go check it out. All right? And <clears throat> um, what makes it now? I lost my train of thought with my shameless plug. What was I thinking? What makes an everyday miracle? Oh, yeah, that's it, remnant ease. So people ask these two phrases. You're going to hear this all the time here, right? It's Christianese, which is just the language we speak within the church that nobody outside the church has any clue what it means. In fact, to us here, it's just become an idiom that means nothing to even to us half the time, right? We just, how you doing? God's great. Are you really thinking God's great, or is that just what you say? Because you're supposed to say that in church, right? It's a good thing, but it, it comes to mean nothing. The other thing is, Take your Christian earmuffs off. Now, I love when I get new people because I can see them on your head. Like, I see the Christian earmuffs. 
I'm not just seeing things. What does that mean? Christian earmuffs are, you have been a believer so long, heard so many sermons, way better people than me, by the way, speaking. You've read the Bible front and back. You know more than me. And at the end of the day, you just hear everything as ordinary. You know the point of every message, the point of, of every story, of, of every parable. So you're just kind of here because, you know, God wants you to bless everyone else around you with your knowledge. Take those off. Sit them aside. And assume and pretend, if you have to, that today is the first time you're hearing these, okay? And bear with me, because I believe, and the reason I have to tell you that is, if you don't take them off, then even though I'm going to make a point that you may have heard, you may not have from these stories that kind of took me by surprise, you're you're not going to pay attention, because you're already going to be thinking about Taco Bell, right? I can't wait to get out of here, get myself a Crunchwrap Supreme Dorito Nacho XL, whatever it is you eat. So stay with me, because these stories are common. They're powerful. They're, they're actual recorded stories in the Gospels and in the book of Acts that everybody knows. But I want you to think about something, right? And they, they, they give sort of a miracle. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. <clears throat> it's a long, oh, and the other, the other warning in advance. Uh, this is going to be some long sections, all right? So if you don't like to hear, I don't really know what to tell you. Pinch yourself, all right? Stay with me. <clears throat> So, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. Um, If you're looking at your phones, we're going to go through, you might as well just put all of it and just go down. We're not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. But, John, chapter 4. Now, I want to set this up. You guys all know the story, you Christians that are in the room. If you're not a Christian, this is awesome. I love it, because you're going to listen and pay attention, probably. So, Jesus, he's got his disciples, he's been doing miracles, incredible things, and he's supposed to head to Jerusalem, and so it's like, if I'm supposed to go to here... There's Jerusalem. It's that wall. They're like, all right, Jesus, let's go. And Jesus goes, nah, I want to go back here and loop around. And so they're, why would you do that? It makes no sense because I want to go around, right? It's the easiest way. But even though they question him, they don't do it out loud very often because, again, miraculous, terrifying things. So he goes around. He sends his disciples. They go get some food. They're out of food and stuff. And he goes and gets some water from a well, right? And that's where we're going to pick up the story. He's by himself. Chapter 4, starting verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Samaria, pause. Samaria, how did the the good Jewish people view Samaritans? And I say this because you can look it up. They viewed them as sort of a mongrel race, meaning that's how they viewed it. They called themselves that this this mix who had bred with with pagans, and even though they still followed, right, they, they believed that the temple should be here, and, they, and the Jews believed it here, and it's just, though they worshiped the same God, there was this rivalry intention, right? You don't mess with Samaritans. They're beneath us. They're not really God's people, on and on. So she's a woman. Any good, self-respecting man is not going to go talk to a woman in the middle of the day by himself. Why? Because people, people are going to talk, right? That happens today, right? I was at the gym one time. I tell the story all the time. I was at the gym. Somebody drives by, it's a gym, it's a box gym, people go all the time, and somebody calls Mandy and says, hey, Todd's at the gym with a woman. Now keep in mind, there's multiple people here, multiple people, right? I I could tell the whole story, she'd be embarrassed, but I'm at the gym that is seen clearly from the road, you drive by all the time, if I'm going to do sneaky things, probably not the best place to do it, right? Anyway, you can't be around a woman, even nowadays in good Christian society, if you saw me at the well with a woman, you'd be like, what's that man doing? You would. If we had a well and I was out there by myself, you'd all go, mm, I saw Todd talking to a girl at the well, right? Same thing still happens here. And she's a Samaritan, two things. So here we go. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples 
had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, here we go. She's saying right away, separate us. Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? That's what we would do, living water. You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who do you think you are? That's essentially what she's saying. He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Whatever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I give, <clears throat> I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Well, that'd be great. Then I don't have to come here and physically carry it out, right? It's a little snotty, a little sarcastic. I wonder why that is. Think she's just mean? We're going to find out the clue here in a second. <clears throat> Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for if you've had five husbands, bam, mic drop, and the man you have now is not your husband, what you have said is true. So she's had five husbands and living with a guy she's not married to now. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. I want to pause here, and I say this all the time. This is so fascinating. Why is she so prickly when we see it right here? Even to her own people, she's that woman. The woman that you don't want your husbands around. The woman that they call names behind her back. The woman that they avoid. The woman, why is she out here by herself? See, women went to the well together, and she's here by herself. Why? She's an outcast. She's a pariah. Nobody wants to talk to her. She's that kind of person, the kind that most of us in this room wouldn't associate with. You're going to say you would, but you don't. You know how I know? Because there's people in your life you don't. In your life you don't. You don't talk to that kind of person. Let that sink in. Who's your kind of person that you don't talk to? You have them. So she's prickly because I think she's hurt. Right? So I'm going to push this guy away. First, I'm already going to be, what are, you, what are you asking me? Right? Look at me. Look what I am. On and on and on. After, and then this is so interesting, right? He says, you said I don't have a husband. And then immediately she says nothing about that, does she? She just says, she doesn't respond to that. She says, sir, I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on the mountain. Yet you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Right there, she's trying to remind him, hey, you know what? Let's end this conversation. We're not the same. You don't want to talk to me. Right? Touchy spot. She's trying to drive him away. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Man, I love that. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, here we go again, no response. I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. At this moment, just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Remember what I told you? Oh, what is he doing talking to her? This is really going to hinder our mission here. They always thought that they really needed to remind him. It's so funny going and look, and everybody's like, I would never do that. Yeah, you would. You would definitely do that. Jesus, I think you need me to remind you what's really smart here, even though you've seen him do these miraculous things. 
His disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I love those little moments. They saw it, but they're like, listen, I'm not going to be the one to call him out on this, <clears throat> right? They don't want to be the one to call him out, so they think it, but it's like, I'm not going to, you tell him. I'm not going to tell him, right? Then the woman left her water jar. She didn't say anything else. When he said, I'm the Messiah, she left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, hmm, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Drop down to verse 39. Then we're just going to see the, the disciples being silly, so we're going to skip that. 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. Ah, man, I have preached on this probably 60 times, and I'll probably preach on it 60 There's so much here, so much here. If you've ever felt like you weren't enough, if you've ever felt like you were too far gone, if you ever felt like you were an outcast from church, if you ever felt like you're too bad for Jesus, you got to read this and understand what he did. He hadn't publicly revealed himself to anyone. Not really yet. And the first one he does is this woman of ill repute, right? A woman of the night. A loose woman. He's just trying to use archaic terms here, right? No? You guys got to read a book. Here we go. <clears throat> I said that once and found out I really offended people. So, sorry, but you still should read one. Um, <clears throat> it's so incredible. Now, I want to connect it to you, but I want you to think of this. Right? And I'm going to talk about it after. Keep this in mind. You're going to switch gears, but I want you to ask yourself this question. How many people believe from her town? Don't know for sure, but it says, <clears throat> let's go. Two times it says believe. Now, when many from the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's, what the woman said, 41. Then many more believed because of what he said. Many, a lot. In Samaria, where they're the enemies of the Jews in a way, right? At least a cold war of sorts. <clears throat> many people believe. Now, here's the question I want you to ask yourself, and we'll come back. What was the miracle that it took for them to believe? What was the miracle? I know. Okay, got you thinking. What was the miracle? She went and told them. What was the miracle that got all these people to believe? Keep that with you. Moving on. Got another big old section here for you. It may seem unrelated, but I think you'll, you'll find that they are. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. <clears throat> another situation where Jesus is walking around. He's doing what he does. And that's what I love about Jesus, and it's such a good reminder. I've got many sermons within sermons here today. I'm fired up, I'm joyful, I'm happy, so I'm just going to give you some bonus stuff. <clears throat> I love this because I've talked about this a lot. The Great Commission is what? Go in. I thought you guys know everything. Make disciples of all nations, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. I love it because really that could be translated, and I say this as you go. Wherever you're going, whether it's to the grocery store, the gas station, at work, to the gym, as you go... In your life, make disciples of all nations. You know why? Jesus did. Jesus didn't just have, well, I'm going to go to the, the mount because there's going to be 3,000 people, and I'm going to go here to the town because there's a bunch. He would literally stop for one person. One person. <clears throat> In the middle of what? A very important journey, right? You guys got something to do that day? You can't talk to the person at the gas station? Is it really important? I'm sorry. It, you're probably right. It's probably as important as saving humanity, right? <laughs> sarcasm. I can do it. 
Paul's sarcastic, so it makes me feel better. All right, starting at verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Anytime you hear unclean spirit, that's a demonic. Possessed. There was a possessed man. <clears throat> he lived in the tombs. Put this in our... This man was chilling in the graveyard. That's where he lived. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but it snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting themselves with stones. That makes me choke up. This guy, whether it was his family or friends, we got to go get Bob. Bob is living in the graveyard, and he has lost it. Let's just tie him up. He snaps the chains. And they, they just eventually say, okay, man, we, we're, we just got to leave him to, to the graveyard. He was crying. Why was he crying if he was possessed? You think he wanted to be possessed? No. We have this idea when we think of possession because of movies that it's, it's 100% all the time back then. You get it? Right? They're walking around floating with devil horns all the time. No. Could go into that. It's a whole other message. No one was able to strain him more in the chains. So no, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Apparently the man had ran to him. Maybe Jesus called it out to him from far away. Right? As he's walking along, come out of him. The guy says, What do you want? Who do you think's talking? Is it the man? No, we know that, right? A little... He says, what is your name? He asked him, Jesus. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. Oof. That's a horror movie. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Now, this part, I, ha I don't have time. Someday I'll explain this in more depth of this next section, okay, because it's interesting. But stay with me. Now, a large herd, he wasn't, I'll tell you this, he wasn't being nice to the demons here, okay? Now, a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The man who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and countryside. And people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion oof, sitting there, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's Bob. This is the guy that attacked everyone we couldn't chain. He's just chilling, drinking a cup of tea. I don't know, right? But he's calm. The eyewitness described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. A little hint. It's not, remember, everything that God does, he works out all, right, all things for the good of those who believe according to his purposes. He sent them into pigs. Pigs was an unclean animal, by the way. God had told them not to eat pigs, so shouldn't have been happening anyway, right? And secondly, what did it accomplish when these demons ran 2,000 pigs, two birds with one stone, right? Think about that. Get rid of this unclean thing, but at the same time, what did it accomplish? Well, we know, right? They ran off and told people, hey, this guy told this guy, there must have been some, you know, the, the herders, whatever, of the sheep, I mean, the, <laughs> the pigs, they saw this and they ran away to report it. The wise witnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Wow. When you're asking for a miracle, the big ones, 
Remember what they did to the man who did miracles. You know, sometimes we want these flashy things because we think it'll turn people to God. If their hearts are hardened, it's not going to turn them to God. They're going to want to kill the thing, right, that reminds them. That's, that's the reality, whether that's figuratively or literally. They feared him. And here we go. This is important. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. Makes sense, right? And please let me go with you. But he would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Decapolis means, anyone know? Ten towns. Yeah, nice job. Who said that? Nice. Well done. <laughs> the Decapolis, right? Ten towns, an entire region, a very important area. So he went around, apparently, t- town to town. He went town to town, ten towns, moving, constantly telling people about what happened. What would motivate him to do that? What do you think he was telling people? Questions to ask yourself. What proof did he have that what happened happened? Do you think everyone in every ten towns had heard of the man who lived in, in the cemetery? Maybe, but maybe not. All we know is this is some guy with old scars all over his body who shows up to town and is telling me this crazy story about demons and pigs and a man who commanded them to leave. <clears throat> Sounds pretty far-fetched, right? Would you believe that? Somebody shows up right now and said, hey, I saw a guy. God just threw some demons into a pig. You ain't going to believe that. But what happened? He went and told them how much Jesus had done for him. What proof did he have? But it still says, and they were all amazed. I'm not going to tell you yet. You're smart, though. Think through this. Where's the miracle? What really happened here? Acts chapter 4. I told you there's a lot going on. Acts. What's the book of Acts? It's the story of the church. After Jesus leaves, what happens to the apostles? They begin to fulfill their mission, and then their mission has to do with us. It affects our lives. Incredible. We're going to do a series on that. Todd, you keep telling us all this stuff. I know, man. Just pray I have enough time. Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 13. Starting at verse 5. I suppose I should tell you, before this, we've got to set this up. <clears throat> Peter and John were preaching to the Jewish people and telling them about the Messiah. Hey, the Messiah's already been here. The person you were waiting for is already here. He's done these amazing things. They were doing some miraculous things, right? Word had started to spread that something was happening among the Jewish people. I'm sure they'd heard of Pentecost, right? We know in, in Acts chapter 2 it says that they gathered together every day and shared meals and studied the word, and then their numbers were added to daily, right? So here are the Jewish leaders, pretty pumped because they said, we got rid of this rebel rouser. You guys have any of that up? This is what Southern, Southern saying? I guess no one else. Rebel rouser, right? He's starting trouble. He's gone. We're good now. But here's a weird thing. Somehow it's not stopping. Now there's more of them. We killed the guy. Now there's more of them. We don't like this. So we're starting to think, right? So Peter and John are preaching. They grab him, the Jewish authorities, right? They have their own guards. They grab him and drag them before him. That's what we're picking up. The next day, their rulers, there mean the Jewish, elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family, the big wigs. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, By what power or in what name have you done this? These miracles, what are you doing? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. 
If we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? Remember, I told you there were miracles. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by your builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting scripture. There is salvation in no one else. This is a powerful statement. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no one other name under heaven given to people and we must be saved by it when they observed the boldness of peter and john and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men they were amazed and recognized that they had been with jesus it's very interesting here he is by the way i like this when you go read the gospels it says peter but a lot of times it says simon peter he's still simon but in Acts, he's only called Peter most of the time. Just think about that, right? He, he was beginning to become what Jesus had always, already always seen, the rock, right? But if you had came along the journey and you judged him entirely by what he was when he was walking with Jesus, would you have called him a rock? Would you have called him courageous? Would you have even called him a godly man? No, most of you, you wouldn't have. And yet here he is. How many people do you judge by where they're at now instead of seeing what God sees in them? Because why? You, you know the future? How many people do you, that come to know Jesus, do you kind of view as the untouchables, the unknowables? Yeah, that's nice, but I mean, you can be in the church, but you need to stay over there. God can't use you. Really, because he used uneducated and untrained men who were screwballs, right? Particularly Peter. So here we go. Peter, the coward, Simon the coward has become Peter, the bold and the brave. Simon, Peter, was the man who wouldn't even say he knew Jesus, right? Hey, weren't you with him? No. Swore. Made an oath to God. If, ah, you know, if God strike me, you know, those crazy sayings people say, if I'm lying, he was lying. Jesus looked at him. He ran away, it says, crying. And yet now here he is being bold in front of the very people who killed Christ, who before scared him so much that he denied Christ. Something to keep in mind. And I like this because he's so speaking so eloquently. There's two things that you're going, these are fishermen. That is a fisherman. I saw that guy, right? He was an idiot. The last time. Okay? That's the, this guy's an idiot. He wasn't good enough. I, and then they go, wait, wait, wait. Is that the guy? That chicken that ran off when we caught Jesus, the Nazarene. That is. And now he's sitting here talking, speaking eloquently and boldly. What Something happened here. They were amazed that they had been with Jesus. How could they still be preaching this when they saw what we did to him? <clears throat> What's the miracle here? Why were they amazed? Was it because of a burning bush? No, yeah, notice the fact that even the fact that he, he, the focus wasn't even on the miracle of the man walking. They were, they kind of blew that off, like, okay, yeah, you did it, but you're probably a demon. Why did this happen? They weren't amazed by that. Because all throughout the Bible, listen, there can be false miracles. You know that? Go read the story of, of Moses. It's creepy. His, uh, the, the Pharaoh's viziers, right, his, his, mages could do things they turned sticks to snakes that happened right 
We know in Scripture that the enemy can counterfeit miracles, right? He can do miraculous things. What's beautiful is it never trumps God, right? Because Moses' snake does what? He eats them, <laughs> right? It's so, so the Jewish people back then, even the Jewish leaders, weren't, yes, miracles were neat and cool, and they probably, but it seems as though that didn't shock them. It was more of, who's it from? Because it certainly can't be my God. He wouldn't work with uneducated, untrained people like you. She's right, right? What was it? They weren't amazed by the walking man. They weren't amazed by the number of people. They were amazed by the change in Peter and John. I'll connect it for you in a second. 1 Peter 3.15, pretty famous verse. But in your heart regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. Now you read that and you go, I need to have all of my apologetics correct. That's good, right? I like apologetics too. That means fancy arguing, right, with unbelievers. That's what it is. That's good, but I don't think that's what this means because it says a reason for the hope that's in you. Is your hope coming from your theological knowledge? Does your hope come from all the terms you know? And Listen, I have some good arguments against atheism. I like to study it. I like to argue. I want to be an attorney. It's probably not good. I like to... Right? Some people in the room would say I argue about everything. Maybe I do. So I like to argue, but that's not at night when I go to bed what gives me hope in the Lord. And it probably isn't when it gives you hope. In every single story, the Samaritan woman ran to her people and she told them about the Messiah. Did she heal anyone? Did she call down fire from heaven? Did she speak in tongues? Did she do any of those things in that moment, right? Did she, did she prophesy? Did she um, heal? Did she, you know, any of this, the, the gifts of the Spirit that we all have, right, that are active in this church, that hadn't happened. No, that hadn't happened yet. She did none of those things, and yet they believed and were amazed by her. Why? Because something about her had changed when she met him. She came to the men, would she have gone to the men any other time? It says she went out alone. To the, she wouldn't even be around the women. Now she's running to the men. The men, like, what are you doing talking to me? Married men, all these people. She didn't care about how people viewed her. She just wanted to tell them about the man who knew everything about her. I think he's the Messiah. And they believed her because of her story, because of the change. We go to the demon-possessed man. Yes, they said the pigs, but they told him to leave, Right? After they heard about this, they saw a miracle, and they were like, get out of here. We would love that. Man, if I go out there right now and just cast some demons out, everyone would believe I'm of God. It didn't happen here. They said, get out of town, man. You're a weirdo, right? And this man, this cut-up, scarred man that probably smelled funny, right, looked funny, wild-looking, went town to town and told them a crazy story that here's the way I was, here is the way I am now, and it says that many believed. They were amazed. Paul and John have been doing miracles. They healed a man that couldn't walk. They come before them and that they don't care. What they were amazed by was the fact that, that Simon the Cower had become Peter the Bold. What's the best defense from this verse for, for, for your reason, for the hope that's in you? You. You are the miracle. 
oh, that's corny. No, it isn't. You become jaded. You are the miracle. The people in your life, most of them that don't know Jesus, you can argue till the end of time. I've done it with family and friends. I can beat them in an argument. That doesn't lead them anywhere. It doesn't doesn't make them believe anything. In fact, sometimes it pushes them away, right, because people are prideful. No. The times that it's made a difference is they've seen something different in me. They knew me before, and now they see me now. You are the miracle, but you don't believe that. Even now you're like, this is that corny, like, feel-good story. No, it isn't. Pay attention. Quit looking at your phones and listen to this. This is exactly why we aren't what we're supposed to be, because you won't listen to the truth, because you're too interested in looking at the scores of the game or whatever else it is. Pay attention, because it doesn't matter, right? And if I called you out, I can't look at your phone. Call it the Holy Spirit. I don't even know, all right? I don't have cameras up here, though that would be cool if I could just look down. You're the miracle, but you don't feel that way. Okay, how do I know that? Let me give you some miraculous things. 2 Corinthians 5.17, what does it say? Right? You're a believer in the room. You say you believe the word of God. Listen, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a believer in the room, are you in Christ? Yes. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's nice. One of the translations I like of this is creation is not the word. It says a new creature. You're a new species. You're not the same as you were. You're not a human anymore. You're a saint. Let's go on. What does it say? Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. Come one of my favorite verses. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Drop 14, right? We have redemption in him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 21. In the same section. You guys got that? Let's go, let's go. I want you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Whatever you did before you knew him. Well, I knew him since I was a kid. What are your friends doing? What's different about you, right? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's not a miracle? To take something dead and make it alive? To take a human and make it a saint? To take the hopeless and give them hope? What more do you want? But you don't live out of that. People say, Todd, you're so angry. I hear this all the time. Yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry because we don't tell people how incredible God is because you are too interested in Taco Bell or your girlfriend or boyfriend or football or whatever else is going on or the next thing here, you are missing. And I'm not talking to the people in the room that don't know Jesus. Listen, you got a built-in excuse. You don't know yet. But the rest of you don't. You're You're so busy waiting for a miracle that you're missing the everyday miracle. Maybe if I do enough for people, they'll ask, how many times in the last month, year, have you just told someone your story? I met a man that did what? You're content to be the same as the world. You don't want to tell them because it's not enough. Making someone, rescuing someone from darkness and bringing them into light is not enough for you. That's why I struggle with Christians. Because I grew up and was old enough to know what it was to not have them. And I watch you sit there and look at your phones and yawn and get grumpy because you'd rather be home, but you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I can't understand it. 
How can something so incredibly extraordinary have become ordinary to you? Because it's never enough. If they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe even if a man was raised from the dead. Just put your time in, right? Slide out of here. Get home. All the while, having a, mir- a walking miracle to amaze people. Well, what if I don't explain it well? What is there to explain about who you are and who you were? You've been fooled. And your desire to prove the existence of Christ, you're ignoring the one thing they want to see and care about, which is the miracle of you, your life and the change, and what he did for you. And half the reason some of you in this room that just go to church every day is you don't understand what you're missing. Because sometimes, and this isn't a cop-out because I'm going to come at you later. I'm not the people that are visiting that don't know Jesus. But the rest of y'all folks that come here every week and you think nobody sees you and you think you're putting in your time because mommy and daddy told me to or my uncle told me to or my husband and wife or all those things, that's okay. right? That's just for them. That's just for them. Why don't you ask them why they believe? Why don't you care enough about your own eternity and life to ask someone why they're different? That's incredible, right? He rescued us from the domain of darkness. James 1, 17 and 18. Should have been from, I'm reading from the ESV. I don't, I don't know what's up there. But every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Behold, the new has come. A new race even, right? a new people. I'm not talking about your skin color. Y'all woke people need to chill, right? I'm talking about reality, a new species. First Peter 2.9 says what? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are walking miracles. I can just see God sometimes. We're like, God, just give me, show me, give me a miracle and I'll prove it to my mom or my dad or my friends or my neighbors all the while, haven't told them about the greatest miracle of all. How you went from a zombie to a living person. How you were dead and now you're alive. How you were hopeless, now you have hope. Well, Todd, sometimes I'm sad. So what? You already know the story. But are you as hopeless as you would have been? No. You know how I know? Because you're here. And all of you, some of you are in, in, in tough situations and you're still here. That means what? You know why you believe? Because what he did to you. You don't believe because, you know, you might have heard from someone else at some point. We tell people about what he did for us. Why? Just like in that story. So they come to him and then they can believe not only, no longer because we have shown them and told them, but because he told us. I don't just believe anymore because of the change you've said that's happened to you. I believe because he changed me. He saved me. Your story of transformation. Your story of what Jesus has and is doing for you. 
We get too stuck in whether we still have imperfections. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, Todd, what are you talking about? I still sin here. I have an addiction here, whatever. Let me tell you something. People are far more forgiving the people that matter. Most of the people that care about that are religious people that will have to give an account to God someday. I just want you to know that. They're pharisaical people who don't care about getting saved. They just want to keep casting stones. It's so funny. I've seen Christians literally say, we should stone them. I'm like, boy, you did not read the Bible. Jesus is going to have, hey, Jesus, I almost stoned that guy for you. He's like, did I stutter? Right? You don't want to tell people your story because you think they only, they're going to focus on your imperfections. That's not what the world sees. That's the point. How is this person, right, how is this person who they are now? How can you believe when this has happened to you? How can you continue to serve when it doesn't make any sense? Why do you keep going to church when you don't have to? Why do you read this book if you do? They don't care about that. Stop focusing on what's wrong and tell people about what's right. Tell people about what changed. When I sit around and think of you guys, and I feel like I've told this story before, I'm only allowed to be the angry, tough guy. Like, I'm not allowed, like, 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 I'm not allowed to be like a tender-hearted person because I am a tender-hearted person, David. You'd be surprised by this. And I actually, secretly, I'll never tell you, my allergies act up, right, a lot. And whenever that happens, and my eyes water. I don't know why. And the things that make my eyes water the most, and I'm not even joking, are you. I will sit back there sometimes and I will look at some of you and I will go, what an incredible miracle. What a saint. And they don't even realize it. You know, we're talking about this in our line. Andy said this word a few years ago and it seems so simple. I'm sure he didn't make it up, but he did to me. And he's like legacy changers, right? That's the most powerful thing in the world to me. When I see somebody change the legacy of their life, the the line that goes down their family tree has now utterly changed. That is a miracle. That's what I sit back and think. I don't sit back and go, man, that guy got a raise last week. What an incredible blessing of God. I don't think that. What amazes me is the fact that people that had no reason to ever walk into a church are now worshiping and praising God today. It happened today. There's 10 of you, 15 of you. I know your stories. And it's not just them. Well, Todd, I've been a believer since I was a kid. Exactly. You know what's crazy? You still are. Even after your parents hurt you, even after your spouse left you, even after you went through that health scare, even after your kids betrayed you, even after all of it, you're still here. Why? Because you're a saint. Did the friends and neighbors of the people of the stories I just read really care about if they were perfect examples of godliness? It doesn't say, and they believe the demon, former demons of his name, because he now floated with a halo above his head. He now knew the five points of Calvinism, and thus he was holy. Did I offend some of y'all? Nah, I believe four out of five. Anyway. <clears throat> no, they didn't. They were amazed and believed because of the change, because of their testimony. Some of y'all don't even know what testimony is. You know why? Because you don't tell anyone. I love this. I have people, I've wanted to do a bar ministry for a long time. If you went back to find the remnant, Todd, <gasps> yeah, you're right, because Jesus wouldn't go there. Y'all silly. Yeah, he would, right? I didn't come here for the healthy, but I came for the sick. That's what he said. And I wanted to do this. Now, I'm smart enough to realize we got we to go in numbers, right? Because, you know, 
Well, one, I already told you, I just went to a gym and got called out. Can you imagine if I walked out of a bar? Todd was with 12 hookers and drunk. I mean, that's how things, that's the truth. That's how things spread. I said hooker. I know I shouldn't have. But I don't even know if people say that phrase anymore. It's what it says in the movies. Anyway, now they're going to, he knew what a hooker is. Yeah, now they were amazed and believed because it's a change. <laughs> anyway, listen. What did you say? Anyway. Uh, I lost my train of thought with the other thing. Anyway, listen, they, did they think that? Did they think because, uh, anyone remember what I was talking about? Bar, thank you, that's it, right? Uh, what? Yeah, singing someone with the bar. Yeah, I had a point, and then the hooker thing scared me, because I saw some, some of your faces just got so horrified that I started getting scared myself. Like, I went too far. Of all the things I said, that was too far. Woo! Um, yeah, they were amazing, please, because of change. You know, I, I want, <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say, so we're moving on. But listen, what, did their friends and neighbors, I want to go back to that, really care if they're perfect examples of godliness? No. You know, if... They didn't care about that. No, they were amazed and believed because of the change and because of their testimony. Here's the th- Now I remember. Here's the thing that's funny. Talking about that, I know some people. Now, some of y'all go to the bar, and you come. When you come to me, I don't even ask. Like, anyone, like, like, like. I got to quit doing that. I'm a valley girl, I guess. I don't understand why you do this because I'm not judging you. All right? Because here's the thing about me. If I'm judging you, everybody knows my mouth's too big. I'm going to say it. That's why some people I do this to. Because as soon as you talk to me, I'm going to say it. Right? But you come to me and you lie and you tell yourself, hey, I'm just spending time with the sinners, man, because I'm witnessing to them. I'm chilling with the, and maybe it's not the bar, maybe it's your buddies that you hang out with on Friday or Saturday and having a beer. I'm not judging for that, you know, because alcohol in and of itself isn't wrong, drunkenness is. But here's the thing. Do you know that if you're not ever telling them about Jesus, you're not ministering to them? Don't fool yourself. Well, I play a fun game with my friends every week, and they see Jesus in me. That's cool, but don't lie to yourself and say, and, and quote Mother Teresa and say, you know, and preach the gospel and if necessary use words. I hate that quote now because it's been taken out of context. No, use your words. She's just saying live it out too. How many times have you told your friends? Because if you haven't, you're fooling yourself. Why do you believe? Well, I go to church. You wonder why they mock you? Because you haven't specifically told them why you believe. Because I guarantee you they see the change. Now, yeah, it's powerful that you still spend time with them and love them. Why do you hang out with me? You're a church person now. Tell them why. But you won't. But you could. You could tomorrow. You could today. Even, you know, I'll confess it. I, I preach every week. And sometimes, you know, I have family members that don't know Jesus that have come here sometimes. And I, I just hit me as I was preparing for this. I was like, man, you know, like my fa- close family has seen my story, right? They've seen me. They hear me preach the gospel every week. And some of them still don't know Jesus, and it hit me this week. And I confess this to you. I've never told them because I didn't think they'd be interested. My story from my point of view, what what he did for me. That's the miracle. Stop acting like your story is ordinary. You don't have to have your head chopped off for the kingdom, right? Some people do, and it's an incredible testimony, isn't it? But is it the fact their head got chopped off that makes it a miracle? What would make someone willing to do that? How did this person go from that? 
and you think, well, my story's not bad enough. I hear this all the time. You know, Todd, compared to your story, my story's not even that bad. Some of you all have a story that blow mine out of the water, okay? But my story is a miracle, and so is yours. And if it isn't miraculous to you, then I'm not sure you really understand what happened when you accepted Jesus. Maybe you need to go back to Bible 101 instead of thinking, I've been a Christian for 12 years, I know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what happened, if you don't understand the difference between you and them, not in an arrogant way, then something's wrong. Stop acting like your story is ordinary. Stop waiting for a burning bush, right, or to preach to 10,000 people because Jesus stopped for one. The thing that makes Peter so incredible to me, and it never really hit me, and I, maybe I think it's probably true for you too. When I read the Bible and I read in Acts, I, I don't actually for some reason get blown away by these crazy things like the shadow passing over sick people and healing them. That's, for some reason, I think it's because I already believed the guy was raised from the dead. That's cool, but it's not shocking that these incredible things. When I read these stories, what gives me hope what gives me joy, what drives me forward, what inspires me in the faith is the simple fact that I remember Simon the coward who somehow has become Peter the bold. And that is so incredible to me that he took a bunch of fishermen and he started the world on fire with them. That's the stuff that amazes me. Quit waiting for some special blessing when you've already been given literally the greatest miracle of your entire earthly life. That's a fact. It's already happened. You were dead, and now you're alive. When is it going to be enough? I don't even want to make you raise your hand because, again, the other side of knowing you is I know you so, members especially if this is your church, I know you so well. I love you so much. You have a miraculous story, but I know you don't tell people about it. Because you don't think you're a miracle. You're too focused on all your imperfections and the things you do wrong that you don't talk to anyone. The Great Commission isn't just a charge to Jesus' church. It's a charge to you individually. It's miraculous. Stop making your story ordinary. Stop waiting for something extra special. You have an everyday miracle. There's everyday ordinary miracles all around you. It's an oxymoron. There can't be an ordinary miracle. You're a miracle. It's just as miraculous as anything else. You are a walking testimony to the glory of God. You are to what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's who I was. Here's how it felt. Here's how I tried to fill the hole that nothing could ever fill. Here's what I did wrong. And here's what he did. And it doesn't stop. He saved me, and I thought that was enough. And I tell, and then I said, man, you know what's crazy? I sinned after I came to know him, and I fell, and he never stopped loving me. He let me be a part of the kingdom still. He let me do incredible things. That's not me. That's him. He's going to come play some music, and I want you to consider these questions. Do you believe the miracle of your life? I can already tell some of you don't. Here's a clue. If you're looking at the NFL.com, right, or your fantasy football team, you don't see it as miraculous. Okay, if you're checking out Facebook, you don't see it as miraculous. If you're thinking about Taco Bell, 
um, or you can't wait to get out of here, or this guy's annoying, you're still not seen as miraculous, this guy being me, right? Sometimes it's funny, you know, when, when people talk about you, a lot of times believers, they do focus on your imperfections, don't they? But what they don't realize is every time they, they cast stones at me, let's just say, every time they point out everything I've done wrong, only brings him more glory. Because how in the world does it make sense for that terrible guy to be where he's at today? Because it's all true. You know, whenever someone's come to tell me, you know, I've done things wrong, but the funny thing about sin is, to Christians, the sin itself's never enough. We have to justify hating people, so we make it more. We make up things, right? So what I like to tell people when they come and go, hey, Todd, did this ever happen? I say, I just say, you know what? Yeah, it did. Just assume it did. Why? Because I want to mess with people. What if it did? What if she was a Samaritan woman? What if I did that? What, what, what does that mean for you? take a minute and think right now about your everyday miracle you probably take it for granted don't you you probably forget who you were I do too sometimes I sat back today as you guys were worshiping and like it hit me it only hit, hits me every now and then and I, my mind was all over the place I'll be honest I'm looking at the temperature and I'm looking at you know 50 other things that's just my, who I am and all of a sudden in the last song I looked around and I saw people singing and I'm like what is happening here how did this happen and it's not the miracle of the building there is that. And it's not the miracle of the fact you're here. And it's not the miracle of a man who fell and then God restored. It's not, a, it's not any of that. It's the miracle of the fact that God moved. And the funny thing about miracles are when you're walking in them, they don't seem miraculous. They don't. It's only until you look back that you go, man, that was incredible. You're missing it. Some of you are missing it. You're waiting for God to light you on fire with some crazy story or some crazy thing to happen. And he's sitting there going, what do you want me to do? I already literally turned you into a new creature. You're living in it. And the cool part about it is your everyday miracle never stops. It just keeps getting added to. Because you become the person that did this or the person that did that or this happened to you or that happened to you, you know, and you had this tragedy and you had this trial and yet you keep walking and you keep following and it just becomes more miraculous. You know it, but you got to tell other people. You got to tell them. The demon-possessed man didn't ask Jesus, how am I supposed to tell him? He didn't go to a class on how to evangelize. He just ran out to 10 different towns and told people what Jesus did for him. That was enough. The Samaritan woman didn't even understand who she was talking to. All she did was tell her small experience, there's a man outside of town who told me everything I've ever done. I want to see that. I'm going to run out there because I believe you that something happened. And what is that powerful statement? I don't just believe anymore because you told me. I believe because he told me. Your story, your miracle leads people to the miracle maker. It leads them to want to know who told you that, who made you different. It doesn't stop. 
Quit taking for granted that you live in America and go, oh, there's church on every corner, so everyone's saved. You are so, so sorely mistaken. I lived my entire life in this state, in a small town just like this, with churches on every corner where it's cool to be a Christian. I did not know the gospel until I was 17 years old. I heard Jesus. I went to Sunday school. I didn't know what he did for me until I was 17 years old. You know how many times I've been told the gospel since then? Unless it's in a sermon, I can't even tell you. Nobody's come up to me and asked me and then told me. They might hand me a track. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you just hand me a track and don't tell me about what he did for you, I'm not as interested. You teenagers, right? It's, uh, uh, you, you've been, some of you, and it's not your fault. You're getting to the age now where you need to stop thinking about the fact you're the holy one among the sinners. Because you don't, you know, I'm great and I'll just be different and they'll see that. That's good. But do you tell them why you're different? Are you too embarrassed? You know, you're all big enough to be in this, this place. Some of you parents get mad, then they're big enough to hear the answer, right? Let me tell you something. I don't care if you're an athlete. I was an athlete. I don't care if you're popular. I was popular. I don't care. None of that will be there and matter in five years, ten years. It won't. Every athletic career comes to an end. Every popular status stops mattering. All it's going to be in that moment, in your girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife, praise God, I hope you find a good one. But did you know even they'll become ordinary to you? That's sad but true. That's why God tells us we have to love as an action, right? you got to quit waiting for it to feel it. Here's the thing. You're going to be faced with a reality. What is this? What makes this life livable? What makes you different? I told you the story a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry I'm pausing to talk to you young folks, older people. You get your turn. Let me talk to them. I remember the, the girl. It was a girl, sadly. Because guys, I don't know why, I think we just care so much about status. Really pretty. I told you her name, Stephanie. I'll never forget it. Really pretty. Could have probably been, I mean, probably one of the prettiest girls in the school. Honest to God, I'm not just saying that. Could have been, and she wasn't unpopular, right? Because if you're pretty, the fact is, you're just going to get noticed. That's just because guys are what we are, especially in high school. But the truth is, she never, she was different. And I knew that without her telling me. I knew it because of the way she acted, the way she dressed, the way she talked. She was kind to me when I was unpopular because I forgot to tell you, I, I, I was very unpopular too. Nothing changed in the way she treated me from the time I was in seventh grade till the time I was a senior. But it did with everybody else. Why? I found out later she knew Jesus. She really knew Jesus. Be different. Because that's what's going to matter. I'm not talking about all the girls that were cool and popular and dressed a certain way right now as a grown man. I don't think of them, but I think of Stephanie sometimes and how hard it must have been to be her. And if you're one of those people and you're different and you're discouraged and you feel alone, don't be because there's some weirdo Todd out there that's being encouraged by your testimony. You believe in miracles? believe in the everyday one that is you we take a minute and think about your everyday miracle think about it because when I get you alone and I get past your insecurity and I get past you know all the fears you have of what people are going to think and I just talk to you every single one of you tell me something incredible I almost wanted to tell some of your stories that was going to be my intro but not say your names and I was like I probably shouldn't tell their stories 
I can tell mine. Okay. I was a poor kid, born in Appalachia, southern, eastern Kentucky. I didn't know we were poor. I thought everybody was like that, right? I was chubby. <laughs> was, was, was chubby. You know, when you move up to uh, northern Indiana, you Yankees, you, uh, you make fun of people with an accent that are chubby and don't have money. You know? My parents worked hard and they did amazing things and I fought people all the time because I learned to deal with my hurt and being cast out with my fists. That's not talk, that's the truth. Right? A lot of things happened to me as a kid that I'm not going to say now because I don't want to put anyone on blast from my past and my life, but I can tell you that it involved abuse, whether they want to call it that or not. It's a fact, right? That I, will, that I grew up in fear all the time. That I still wake, if you wake me up to this day, I'll wake up like freaking out and screaming because I used to wake up to that. Wake up being thrown across the room, that happened. I woke up to being thrown and slammed against the wall. I, one of my earliest memories is being hit and asked, you want to wear a diaper your whole life? Because I peed the bed. I couldn't even see because I had my, they call it cold in your eyes. I don't know what you call it up here, but my eyes were stuck together. You know what that is? I don't know. I never even learned. Lindsay, you'll have to tell me what that is later. Right? And I couldn't see, and I just, no, I don't want to be that, you know? And I was too soft, so it became harder, but it didn't hide what I really was. Unpopular, right, until I found my, my first God. In football. It's the thing I was good at. It got me attention. I clung to that, and I don't know, man. I came to know Jesus. Go on and on and on. I've screwed up so many times since then. It makes zero sense for me to be here. But the miracle isn't that I get to preach to you. The miracle is that he still loves me. That one, you look at me and some of my family, the only difference is him. The only difference is him. We take a minute and think about your everyday miracle. Do you and have you told your friends and family about what Jesus did for you? Or are you looking for something else? When God's already given you the greatest miracle you'll ever receive. Quit waiting. Go tell the ten towns. Right? For you, that might be going home today and telling your son or daughter or your wife or your friend and you tell them about Jesus. What he's done for you, what he's doing for you. Maybe it's at work. You stop being a chicken and you tell people that are dead how to become alive. Stop focusing on everything that's going wrong. Stop waiting for something miraculous. Stop passing off, right, the story. Somebody else will tell them and tell them about the miracle of your life. Think about those three stories. The man in the graveyard didn't care how he looked, smelled, the scars in his body, or his reputation. He just wanted to tell them about the man who saved him. We should do the same thing. If you don't know who Jesus is, it's really simple. I got to tell you the situation before you'll understand and appreciate how miraculous it is. You are a sinner. You don't like that because that implies that you're bad, and you are. Me too. God made everything perfect and good, and he said, really, there's one rule. I'm God and you're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is, and guess what happens? We rebelled, and you do it every day. 
Every time you choose to follow yourself over God, when you do the wrong thing instead of the right thing, and you know what it is, it's in your heart. You don't have to go to church and know what right and wrong is. Every time you've done that, if you're old enough to understand my words, then you're old enough to understand my words. Every bad thing you've done, every evil, shameful thing you've done, because God is perfect and holy, he cannot be in relationship with something that is not perfect and holy. He can't. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us have messed up and now we haven't met the standard. What's the standard? The Bible tells us is perfection. It's perfection. And well, Todd, what does it mean that I've sinned? Well, it says the wages of sin is death. What's the penalty for what you've done as rejecting God? It's your death. You'll die twice. You'll go before a holy God and he's going to judge you based on the fact of whether or not you're perfect. It doesn't matter how much better than me you are, you're not perfect. And so thousands of years of human existence have showed us what happens when the creation runs away from the creator. Death and misery and murder and rape, right? And political upheaval and disease and all the things that we experience come from a world that's rejected the good and the creator and the holy. So because we're separated, we can't do enough good deeds to make ourselves perfect, can we? It doesn't make up for the bad. And so what's happened is God had a plan. God said, I will save you myself. When you can't come to me, I will come to you. And he invaded this earth in the form of man, Jesus Christ. He sent his son. God made flesh. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He performed miracles. He told us the truth right, of the kingdom. He told us about our situation. He told us what the kingdom's like, how beautiful and good it is, filled with hope and love and joy, all these beautiful things. And he said, listen, he told us the standard. You have to be perfect. Your religious acts aren't good enough. You have to be able to fix what's inside. Can you do that? And we all know the answer. We can't. And so we're left in a predicament that he then fixes for us. Jesus died on the cross. An innocent, perfect man who was good and true and pure and everything that we want to be died on the cross, took our place. This is a fact. And on the cross, he, he took not only a physical death, but he stood in your place before a holy God. God himself turned his back on his son because of the sin that was on him, our sin, your sin. And he died. He took the death, the wages that you were owed. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Over 500 people attest to this. It happened. He conquered death so that you too can do that. And here's the deal. But, but that's not enough. You've got to reverse the decision you've made your whole life. The one that says, I know better than God. You've got to go to God and say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I don't want to live this way anymore. I will follow you. I need your help. I accept what you did, Jesus. In fact, Romans chapter 10 tells us that if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not after your addiction, not after, uh, you know, all the things, not after you clean your act up right here, right now, today, and you become a miracle. Because in that moment, you'll be transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed doesn't matter, right? Past, future. He takes all the negatives of your, your life. Remember, he took it on the cross. And he gives you the benefits as though you were always perfect. So when you stumble again, you're still perfect. 
You're holy and good, a saint, a chosen priesthood, right? Chosen race, a royal priesthood. Let me ask you something. Are you going to leave today without knowing that, Lord forbid, if you walk out and got hit by a bus, that you would go to heaven, that you would be with God? Because you will only go one of two places. Now, everybody's going to tell you something different, right? You don't get to come back and get another chance. You don't go to some magical place in between where if you wait long enough, you go to heaven. You get one shot at this. Well, I don't understand. Nobody said you had to understand everything. Do you want to accept God and what he did for you? You want to keep trying to live life your way, banking on the fact that you don't die today. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. They will. I was that guy. I had to get, they tricked me, right? I always tell this story. They're like, raise your hand if you want Jesus. I did. And they're like, okay, great. Now you got to go behind that door. And I didn't know anything about church. I'm like, well, they're going to kill me back here, right? And they didn't. They prayed with me and they gave me a Bible. And that day, something changed in my heart and I've never been the same. All I, I wasn't even connected to church. All I had was the New Testament. I think Proverbs, you know, those Bibles. And I read that for two years. It's real. Don't leave here the same as you came in. Don't leave here without being assured of eternal life and also don't leave here without being excited on fire and ready to tell the world about your everyday miracle whatever you do don't leave the same as you came in because if you do you're choosing to